0: I'm excited. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for today. I feel like God has already said, you know, I'm just going to do an amazing work. Before we get into that though, Emma, I just want to say I am so encouraged by your worship. You have, um, you have you know, <laughs> you have, um talked about. You've given your testimony to our church before, but just when I hear you sing those words, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you've been so, so good, and hear you sing it at the top of your lungs, I'm just like, oh Lord, that that is just wonderful. And I just want to encourage you and remind you afresh that there is such an anointing with your testimony. So share, 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 share it. <laughs> Beautiful, amen. Um, Mitchell as well, I don't know if he's in here, maybe I'll just I'll encourage him later. Anyway, um, like I said, I'm excited. I believe that um, God has given me a word this morning for us as a church and... Um I guess what got me really excited and how I'm claiming this as a Mother's Day message is that basically it just comes from the mother part of me. Um, as I was preparing, I just felt that, you know, the mum spirit in me just rise up and I'm like, yes, I want to encourage our church with this. And so I'm really excited. Um, so let's just pray because I just feel like sometimes my excitement leads me astray and, and um, so we'll just get that under wraps in this moment. All right, Jesus, we look to you. We thank you that you are our God and you are such a good God. Father, we want to be attentive to your spirit and what you are saying this morning. God, I pray that my words would be yours. And Lord, we just pray that your word would go deep into our hearts today. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start um, this morning off by talking about barriers Not talking about our dear friends Anthony and Kira, barrier, um, but a different kind of barrier. I'm talking about these kinds of barriers that exist between you and I as people and exist between us and God. These sort of invisible kind of barriers. You know, an example that I can think of in my life is the barrier of being a pastor. Yes, sometimes it's a barrier. I I know here, you know, we're all friends and it's all amazing. But you know, sometimes I use this to my advantage. So say if we're on a flight or something like that and I don't feel like talking to the person next to me, you know, other than my husband. Um, I can't can't really do that to you. But say if I'm talking to somebody and, well, I'm sitting next to somebody and I just don't feel like talking, I've got some work to do and, or you know, more realistically, there's a TV series I wanna binge on the flight, because I can only get it on the flight. Um, if I wanna you know, get into work in that kind of regard, um, when the person starts talking to me and when they ask, so what do you do for work? And I say, I'm a pastor of a church. And then I sort of just wait. And then you see slowly this invisible barrier just kind of like comes up. You see their eyes sort of gloss over and I know that, yes, I have this flight to myself now. <laughs> I, can, I can binge this TV series. And, you know, you know obviously I don't want that to be a barrier all the time. Like there are some times where I'm feeling generous and, and you know, I would want to talk about it. But sometimes I use it to my advantage. I really do. Um, But hopefully, you know, in more pastoral settings, knowing that I'm a pastor means that I'm actually here for you. I'm here to help. And, you know, if you've been coming to church and you don't know about us, that about us as your pastors, I'm really sorry. Um, But we are here. We are here to help. And we want to champion you on your journey with God and in your faith. And so sometimes these barriers are good. But you know, the part of barriers that I want to focus on for a moment is probably the more negative side to them. The fact that barriers sometimes act more like a distancing agent than an agent that brings us together. You see, whenever there's a barrier, there's division, isn't there? And you know, sometimes we deal with barriers out in our world, but sometimes we deal with barriers in the church. And ultimately, what it leads us to is separation segregation and you know for some people it's marginalization which is so not the heart of God and you know we can just go about our life and and not even recognize these things but they're just so natural sometimes where maybe this ethnic group doesn't mix with this ethnic group or maybe you know because of the color of your skin we don't associate or we don't really think that we'd have much in common you know maybe it's you go for the dockers and I go for eagles Dockers, Dockers fans, I know you're happy right now, you're happy this weekend, Um, but maybe sometimes that's a barrier and you know sometimes it goes much deeper than that. Sometimes it's, look I know a bit about your history and I don't want to talk to you or you know it can be really like things just close to home of, of gender issues where you're a male, I'm a female, we can't really minister to each other, we can't pray together here in church or you know just things that keep us divided. And as I'm talking this through, you're probably thinking of things that register with you where, oh yeah, you know, that's actually a kind of person that I wouldn't really associate with. Or maybe, you know, that person's into things that I don't really connect on or I don't, I'm not really into. And therefore, we never actually had a conversation. We never really talk. You know, these barriers, they lead to division. But that's not the kind of community that the church is meant to be. You see, God wants his house and his community and his church and his kingdom to be full of Jews, Gentiles, male, female, free and slave. And the beautiful thing is that he calls us all equal and he calls us all united. That's the picture of the community of God. And so this morning I want to talk about these barriers and I want to show you someone in the Word of God that has to deal with these barriers so that she can actually be reconciled to God but she can be reconciled to her community as well. And just backtracking a little bit, something about uh, this woman that we're going to sort of see is the fact that these barriers have led to loneliness in her life. And that's the thing with barriers. When we continue to live life keeping them up, not even... You know realizing or recognizing them in our life ultimately they can lead us to a place of loneliness but the beautiful thing beautiful thing about god is that he says he places the lonely in family and so i believe that that is that speaks to us about the kind of family we ought to be one without barriers but all are welcome all are welcome to come to be united and we're going to talk about as well what we're actually united on on that front but let's meet this woman in john chapter 4 You see, Jesus is deliberate about meeting this woman. It's it's the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well you might know her as. But Jesus is so deliberate about coming to meet her. And I believe it's because he has an assignment to actually break through her barriers and bring about this reconciliation that we just mentioned. So let's get started. John chapter 4, verse 7 to 17 says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. See, this is, if you dig a little bit deeper, this is such a deliberate move on Jesus's part. He actually sends his disciples away so that he can be alone with this woman, that she can't miss him and he can't miss her. He has set this up. I love it. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket." She doesn't quite get what he's, you know, laying down at the minute, but that's okay. You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had many you have had 5 husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now you certainly spoke the truth so, this used to be one of those stories where I'd read it and I'd be like, What on earth is going on? Like, this is such a random conversation, right? Like, one minute we're talking about water, the next minute Jesus is like, Go get your husband. I'm like, Jesus, stay on topic. Come on now. Um, and I thought that this was super random, but as I was digging a little bit deeper, what uh, became very obvious to me was that. Jesus was hitting up this woman's barriers. He was like going, he was honing in on this woman's barriers. And so let's take a look at what some of these barriers were that this woman had in her life that actually kept her separated from God, but also separated from the people in her community. The first one that Jesus just hones in on is her race. So as she mentioned, you know, I'm a Samaritan woman we don't associate, you you Jews and us Samaritans, we are enemies, we do not associate and basically what happened, well it's because they have a bit of history, so what happened was that the Samaritans actually broke off from the Jews and the Jews who are God's chosen people, they would worship right in the temple um, in a very specific place but the Samaritans broke off and they created a new temple on Mount Gerizim and that's where they're sort of talking about in this um, conversation and what the Samaritans did was that they mixed their worship of God so pure you know worship of God they mixed it with idolatry they brought in other practices, they brought in idol worship and so Samaritans were actually seen as these defiled people, they were impure when it came to God's chosen people and so there's this spiritual divide here and what I never really picked up on before until now was the fact that Jesus with his one question of can I have a drink, he was saying a lot in that one question, he was saying that you, even though you're Samaritan and you would have drunk from this vessel, I'm asking for a drink from this same vessel. Basically, one theologian puts it as, Jesus was risking spiritual germs by asking this woman. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Cooties, spiritual cooties. Um, Jesus was risking this by asking for a drink. Before I just sort of blew past this, but then I realized, wow, Jesus, this is profound. You are you are just smashing through this barrier of this woman being impure, being an idol worshipper, but you're saying, hey, I want you. I want to drink from your cup. It's beautiful. Jesus just goes for it. It's the first thing he asks her, not even, hey, my name is Jesus. No, it's, hi, can I have some water? Before, when I read this, I was a bit like, Jesus, you're being a bit of a jerk, like, just being truthful, right? Like, Come on, even just ask her name. But no, he's doing something very deliberate, very specific, and that culture of the day would understand exactly what he was doing. Beautiful. So that was her race. That was a barrier between her and Jesus, her and God. But you know, a second barrier, if you know anything about sort of ancient history, was her gender. The fact that she was a Samaritan woman. Oh my goodness. And Jesus was working things out so she could, he could be alone with her, Oh my gosh, scandalous, like this is crazy. So women and men would not associate like this. I know today it's like whatever, but back then that would not happen. And just the fact that, yeah, he wanted to be alone with her, to be able to speak to her and minister to her, it's like just incomprehensible. And you know, we could probably see this being a really, even stronger barrier for her because of her five past relationships, right? You don't come through one divorce without sort of getting this sense of, you know, disruption in your identity as a woman, let alone five divorces. She's gone through five. She's had five men reject her, and I have a feeling that she would be pretty, you know, walled up when it came to any man talking to her, let alone a man that's come alone and just asked her for a drink of water. So she would be walled up. That barrier, I reckon, would have been really hard, really hard. But yet Jesus, again, in that asking of a question and that deliberately placing himself to meet her, he's saying, I don't care that you're a woman. I don't care because in my kingdom, things are different. It's different to this world. The way that you've been treated in your past, I'm different. This life that I have to offer you is different. I love it. So we have a race, we have a gender, and there's one that's pretty obvious and and often we pick this one out first when we read this account but the fact that she's got a history of sin. She's got this history of, and you can sort of go in uh, into it a little bit more with commentaries and things like that, but basically, uh, a lot of people say that there's ad- adultery involved there, that with her five husbands and that past, there's sin that's abundant. You know, what's really sad in this story is that I think it's this one, that this barrier in particular, that's led to such loneliness, because She now has a reputation in her town of the woman who mixes with men and has mixed with men many times in the past. And so the reason why she's actually coming to the well in the heat of the day, in midday, um, that's actually unusual. The reason why she's coming there is because she can't go when other women go, because she's a reject, she's a social reject, she's been outcasted. And so the other women would come in the cool of the day, in the morning or the evening, to fill up their water. Um, and it would also kind of function as a bit of the, the catch up of the town, the gossip between women. They'd come and they'd gossip about the news in the town. But you know, she wasn't even a part of that. She couldn't be a part of that because of this reputation of her sinful past. Huge barrier. So this snapshot that we get of this woman at the well you know we've got these three barriers but can you just imagine for a moment her whole life how isolated how lonely you know when she comes away from that well and walks into town how does she feel walking back into what's meant to be her home what's meant to be her community can imagine for a moment how insecure maybe how hard how walled up how her barriers would be in place and they'd be pretty darn sturdy. So we have these barriers and, you know, if you actually look into it, there's a few more there as well. But those were some of her barriers that came between her and God. But I want to ask you this morning, maybe it's not the barrier of your race or your ethnicity. Maybe it's not the barrier of sin in your past. Maybe it's not the barrier of your gender. Maybe that's not an issue for you. But what is what are those barriers in your life that actually tell you that I feel so alone, I feel isolated, that no one understands what I've been through, I'm the only one. Have you ever you know, thought that to yourself, maybe said that to yourself before? I'm the only one. What is it for you? Because you see, for this woman, she has these barriers, but she has this encounter With Jesus. And he actually reveals himself as the Messiah. And this is so important. I wanna read to you this what happens here. But in verse twenty-eight it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And Jesus, what ends up happening is Jesus is actually invited to stay for a couple more days to basically speak and share and minister to the people of Samaria. And it says that many Samaritans come and believe things change for this woman. She doesn't go back into town this time with her barriers up, with her walls up. She goes in free. She goes in running. She is joyous. She is happy. She's excited by the fact that she has met the Messiah. So what does that mean for us today with our barriers? Well, The picture of the cross, and we've just spoken about that for the last month. Honestly, if you've missed out on any of it, please podcast. I know it's not the same as being here, but please podcast because there's so much that we've unpacked about salvation and what God has done at the cross that's so, so important for our faith. But basically, the picture of the cross for us is a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so for this woman, she encounters Messiah Jesus where forgiveness flows, reconciliation flows to her. And you know what I found really interesting is that often when we have barriers, the root cause of those is unforgiveness. It's the fact that we have gone so long without actually dealing with unforgiveness in our hearts. But Jesus says, when you come to me as Messiah... When you put your faith in me, forgiveness, reconciliation are yours. This morning, as we deal with our barriers, maybe they're coming to mind right now, as Holy Spirit brings them to your attention. Come on, I want you to just, in your heart, say, God, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your barriers. And you know, throughout this week, maybe have deliberate time where you actually put into practice, okay, God, who do I need to forgive? Even if it's 20, 30 years ago, This is worth it. The forgiveness that Jesus gives us at the cross is worth it because we see in this woman's life she's gone from isolation and loneliness, not just physical loneliness, but loneliness of heart. Oh my goodness, maybe that's why she's with this sixth man because she's desperately lonely in her heart. But she has the guts, the audacity, the confidence to run back a changed woman and say, come meet a man, come meet this man who could be the Messiah. He has changed my life, and I know that that's what God wants to do for us this morning as well. He wants to deal with those barriers that keep us away from Him, keep us distant from Him, and keep us distant from one another. And you know, I speak on behalf as well of all those people in our town who are lost at the minute, but who need to be here in our church and in the church in in the town of Victoria Park. Those are people who are going to be coming in with their barriers. And I want us to be a church that are ready to say, hey, your barrier, that doesn't matter, but you come on in here and you come right into our home and you come into family. I want us to be a family. This is where my mum heart comes in. This is where it comes in. I feel it. I want our church to be that place where any person can come in with no matter what history they have had, if they come in saying that Jesus is their Messiah, that he is the one that has saved them, forgiven them, and and they have been reconciled to the Father, then who are we to say that you can't be reconciled to us? Amen, church. Can we be those people with the big arms ready to embrace people with barriers? Come on. I feel it. I feel it. And so the cross for us is this place where we can actually come to Jesus and we can lay down those barriers in our life and say God help me to forgive. I know that there are hurting people on the other side of my barrier and I know that the barrier is keeping me in some sort of security but but it's false security. What I want is your freedom, God. I want your freedom. I want forgiveness, I want reconciliation. Come on. So, as I mentioned, when we come together and we have all of our barriers, but what if Jesus delivers us and we have no barriers? What then? Bit of an interesting picture, right? I sort of see this Samaritan woman as her barriers have defined her, because the thing is with barriers is that they keep us divided, right? But they also sort of give us a place of reference. My barrier as a pastor is that I do pastoral work, like it gives me a frame of reference for what I do and gives other people frame of reference for what I do. So this woman has lived her life being defined by the fact that she's a Samaritan, that she's a woman, that she's had this past history of sin. But now that those walls have been broken down or broken through, then what? There's like this complete freedom, right? But as I've learned with toddlers, complete freedom is not a good thing. You still need some kind of, yeah, it might not be this, but it's this, all right? We're gonna, you know, this is where you belong. And so Jesus actually does that with this woman. He has pursued her, he has broken through her barriers, but now he gives her a picture of, that doesn't matter anymore, but this is what matters. This is what the Father is seeking, So in verse 21, it says, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here. Come on. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So when our barriers disappear, the common uh, purpose we have, the commonality we have, is worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. But what the heck does that mean? Have you ever read that and been like, yeah, sounds great, but what? (laughs) It'd be good to know, right? And so I've done the work for you. Uh, Some theologians actually say that spirit relates to the fact that God is spirit, right? He's not um, embodied. He was in Jesus, but you know, now it's spirit. Um, So that God is spirit so that we don't have to wait to come to church on a Sunday or lift group throughout the week to worship God. But actually every moment of every day is worship to God or it's actually worship to an idol, I choose God, hey, let's choose God. Um, So they are basically saying that's what worshiping in spirit can mean, the fact that you have an opportunity with every breath in your lungs going in and out of you to worship God. Beautiful, I love it, so freeing. And we can sort of see that in the fact that Jesus talks about this mountain and that mountain, the two different temples, that doesn't matter. So we know that that checks out. But there's another part about spirit that uh, theologians talk about, and it's this idea that we worship God with our heart and with our emotions. It's beautiful, you know, and it, they sort of talk about it in this way: that you can worship void of heart and ver- worship void of emotion, but that actually leads us to dead orthodoxy. What does that mean? It means that we become we walk in here and we sort of put on our serious, bored. I'm going to check out a uh, sort of mindset. That's what it actually means. It means that I'm going to leave my heart, I'm going to leave my emotions at the door. I'm going to leave basically a big chunk of who I am out the door and I'm going to come in here. But God's saying, no, 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 I, I need your heart and I need your emotions to actually connect with you. Uh, God's created us with a heart and with emotion and he actually wants those things involved in our worship as well. And you know, church, I love I love um, our worship this morning. I thought it was wonderful. And, and Mitch, I actually wanted to encourage you that I believe there is an anointing on your life to actually bring this kind of worship forth in our church, but just in general as well. There's this, and I'm going to talk about the truth part in a moment, but um, I believe that there's an anointing on your life to bring worship that is in spirit and in truth. There's this knowing God, so the truth aspect, that you bring to your expression of worship here in church. And I want to encourage you in in that and say, go for it. (laughs) Just keep on going for it, because that's actually something that um, we need to lead us in this worship of spirit and in truth. Um, And so spirit, it, it talks about this deep love, this emotional love for God. And I know that some of us get a little bit like, weird about that or a little bit nervous about that because they're like well I come in here like sort of like this because I'm reverencing God because I really respect him and that is wonderful that is a good heart to have but can I tell you that God made you with emotions and with a heart and he wants that as well so be fun have fun in your worship for the love of Jesus be fun when you're at church come on, all the extroverts said amen, Um, (laughs) we need fun people in church, but I guess at the end of the day, it means just be genuine, be genuine about your love for God, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to clap your hands, if you want to stomp your feet, if you want to do a little dance, hey, I'm not going to throw you out, I'm going to say, do your dance, girlfriend, and um, or boyfriend, who, whatever you are, um, But be genuine. God wants us to be genuine people because he doesn't want us dead on the inside, just knowing all about him but not actually experiencing him and loving him and adoring him. And I think sometimes we actually use the best of our heart and our emotions on our spouses, on our children, in our workplaces, in our friendship circles. But they don't deserve the best. Can I just say that? I know it's really hard to hear sometimes, but God actually deserves our best. So next week, I'm going to expect that all of you come ready to dance and sing and shout and clap your hands and bring your tambourines. Just kidding. Um, that you've got to vet with the, with the team. I get it. I get that there's distracting stuff as well, but that's not, that's not the point. It's actually be genuine in your love, in your heart for God. Express it. Know that you can express it here. This is a safe place to do that. In fact, we welcome that. So, the other parts we're talking about spirit, but there's also truth. God wants our worship to be in truth. And this relates to knowing who it is that we worship. You know how he talks to the Samaritan lady and kind of points out that you don't know who you worship. There's sort of some vague idea about the God that you worship, but the Jews know. And the Jews, when they're raised, you know, they're taught Torah. They're taught about who God is. And there's a sense of, yes, we have our emotions and our heart engaged in worship, but we also have the truth of who God is. We actually get to know him, not through our world and their idea of who god is not our idea of what we think a nice god is that that we worship that image but no we worship the god that's actually found in the word of god because the word of god is truth and when we base our worship on that god we're basing it on the true god and so god is saying bring this into my house bring this into worship worship me with your heart and with your head you know, and, and I believe that there are some people in here with are teaching gifts. You know, you like to engage with the word of God and you like to engage with God at that heady kind of level. Bring That's beautiful worship to God. Know that. He, he's not saying, hey, put that aside and just be happy, <coughs> clappy all the time. No, bring that. He actually wants that. He wants our minds. He wants our hearts. You know, John Piper says it this way, love for the truth and deep affection for God. I really love that. That's actually what the Father is seeking. And so without our barriers, without the things that used to define us or keep us safe or keep us separated from one another, our commonality is that we come in here and we go out there and we worship in spirit and in truth. You know, as we close this morning, I want to engage our imaginations for a minute. Because Jesus broke through the barriers of this woman to show her how loved of God she was. So beautiful, right? I want us to imagine for a moment what that could look like if you and I actually lived out this barrier-breaking mandate of Jesus. What if we were to be the people who help the people in our world, because our barriers are being dealt with by Christ, that we actually go out and we seek out those people who always have their walls up who always have some kind of barrier. You know, you might know people in your life who has a who ha- currently have a barrier with you, <laughs> or maybe a barrier between you uh, a mutual friend and them, or maybe a barrier between them and God. How can you come alongside them? How can you encourage them that hey, these barriers, they've got to go. Come on, there's reconciliation, there's forgiveness waiting for you on the other side. Who are those people? I you know, I feel like God really wants to flag that this isn't just a work for us this morning to to bring our barriers to him, but actually flag people in our world who we are actually called to minister to as well. You know, I want to end with this story just to get our imagination juices kind of flowing. Because for me, when I read this story, it, it showed me in probably more of a modern context of what breaking through people's barriers can look like. And so this comes from Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? But I want you to sort of put your imagination thinking caps on. Bear with me, it's a bit of an introduction, but we'll get to the good part. Nelson Mandela taught the world a lesson in grace when after emerging from prison after 27 years and being elected president of South Africa, he asked his jailer to join him on the inauguration platform. He then appointed Archbishop Desmond Tutu to head an official government panel with the daunting name, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's a big, hefty <laughs> task. Mandela sought to diffuse the natural pattern of revenge that he had seen in so many countries where one oppressed race or tribe took control from another. You can see the barriers, right, in this? For the next two and a half years, South Africans listened to reports of atrocities coming out of the TRC hearings. The rules were simple. If a white policeman or an army officer voluntarily faced his accusers, confessed his crime, and fully acknowledged his guilt, he could not be tried and punished for that crime. Hardliners grumbled about the obvious injustice of letting criminals go free but Mandela insisted that the country needed healing even more than it needed justice. At one TRC hearing, a policeman named Vanderbroek recounted an incident when he and other officers shot an 18-year-old boy and burned the body. Eight years later, Vanderbroek returned to the same house and seized the boy's father. The wife was forced to watch as policemen bound her husband on a woodpile poured gasoline over his body and ignited it. The courtroom grew hushed as the elderly woman who had lost first her son and then her husband was given a chance to respond. What do you want from Mr. Vanderbroek? The judge asked. She said she wanted Vanderbroek to go to the place where they burned her husband's body and gather up the dust so she could give him a decent burial. His head down, the policeman nodded agreement. Then she added a further response. Mr. Vanderbroek took all my family away from me, and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice each month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him so he can know my forgiveness is real. Spontaneously, some in the courtroom began singing amazing grace as the elderly woman made her way to the witness stand, but Van de Broek did not hear the hymn. He fainted, overwhelmed. What a beautiful story. What if we committed to giving our barriers to Jesus, having them dealt with at the cross, receiving forgiveness and the grace to forgive others, have those barriers dealt with, but then go into the world, meet people who are lost, who are broken, who are in serious need of forgiveness and reconciliation, and we could be agents of that change. Can you imagine? I just imagine being joyful. If that's the prize of it all, it'd be worth it what a beautiful joy it would be. Amen? Amen. I want us to just take a moment, bow our heads and close our eyes. Because I just sense that the Holy Spirit is moving on hearts and just sense him kind of doing a work in hearts saying, yep, that barrier, let's deal with that one. So right now, I'm just going to give you a moment in your own words, in your own way, in your heart, to say, God, yeah, I give you that. I give you that barrier. I give you that thing that tells me that I'm so alone, that dividing wall. Jesus, it's yours. God we thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you that it's a beautiful picture of forgiveness for us and reconciliation. God I pray that as we go about our week that we would continue to give these barriers to you. That we would forgive the people who we need to forgive. And God we pray for your grace. To reconcile us. God, there are some situations out of our control, but God, we know that reconciliation is possible with you. So, God, I pray that over our people, Lord, where there's reconciliation needed, God, I pray that that would be done in Jesus' name. And God, for those right now who are being stirred to be barrier breakers, God, I pray for your grace. I thank you. Yeah, I just sense God coming upon different people, bringing his grace, his anointing, to actually have those conversations with people in your world that you know their walls are high, their barriers are up high. And I just sense God saying, I will give you the words. I'll give you the tact to take. And I'm sending you. I'm sending you. God, we thank you that we are your agents of reconciliation, that the ministry of reconciliation has been appointed to us as your children, as your people, as your church. And so, God, I just lift up on the behalf of everyone here, God, those people that we're thinking about right now that you're checking on our hearts, Holy Spirit, God, we lift them up to you. We pray that you would go before us, God, that you would make a way for those barriers to be broken, And God, for reconciliation and forgiveness to be our portion. We thank you, God. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.